This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And it's Wednesday. I can't believe it's Wednesday. It's so much going on still. Anyway, everybody's talking about Trump getting in as a possible nominee for House Speaker. Uh, we'll, we'll jump into that a little bit. And um, he had some comments on that today. We also have the um, wife of Senator Bob Menendez killed a man in the town right by where I live uh, in 2018. And honestly, that's local news for me. And I, I, I remember hearing about it very briefly. I didn't know he was killed. I heard there was an accident. I don't make much of it, but apparently it's resurfaced and uh, the family's saying that they tried to, they believe that it was kept quiet intentionally. So it's an older story, but it's a new revelation. We'll get into that a little bit later on. Uh, some House Republicans are threatening now to quit the Problem Solvers Caucus after the McCarthy ouster, and we're going to get into that in the next segment because uh, uh, I'm curious to know what happens when we move forward, right? Um, there's a lot to discuss there. And there's also some audio. There's some audio that I want to play for you. Uh, today, earlier in the day, uh, Brian Kilmeade and Congressman Burkett, or is it Burchett, uh, had a uh, Tim Burchett had a conversation on Fox News, and it kind of went sideways. And it was interesting to, to, to see how the exchange went. And again, I, I'm trying not to take a very adversarial approach on anybody, whether you voted for McCarthy or against McCarthy, because I, I want to hear everything. I know a lot of people immediately jump on board. You know, Gates did the right thing. I think everything that Gates and Good and Burchett and everybody else that voted, the other eight members, uh, I think what they're saying sounds right to me. I just don't know if this was the right uh, move at the right time. And we won't know until we have another speaker, quite frankly. Um, I think there's, uh, there's something to be said about saying, look, we made a deal. You broke the deal. We took the action that we said we'd take. And you agreed to it, right? They all agreed to change things that, to have a, a, a single member um, make a vote, uh, a motion to vacate. So in, in so much as the, the rules go, they followed the rules. I get that. Uh, my, my thinking is, I hope we didn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And I don't think we did, quite frankly. Uh, I just also think there's, there's a lot to be said in a place that's filled with swamp creatures, rhinos, uh, liberals, progressives, and everybody else. 
you, I think you need someone that can speak to all of those people and have a dialogue. Because if you don't have the dialogue, then everything is a stalemate. And again, maybe that's exactly what they're looking for. I think the stalemate is a lot better when you have a government shutdown or some other situation that creates pressure where everybody's forced to come to the table and make concessions. Without the pressure, you don't have it. And I understand the the move to avoid the shutdown uh, kind of signaled weakness to many. And they said, no, that's it. That's the straw that broke the camel's back. We're not doing it. I understand every perspective here. And honestly, I don't know that I, I'm on anybody's side here because a lot of this makes sense. Um, hate to see McCarthy go because I think he, he was uh, very effective. But there's other reports that, you know, Congressman Jim Jordan's thrown his hat in the ring. We'll talk about that. And I think Jim Jordan could be extremely effective. But I know he's a fighter. And and uh, my, my concern with that is not really not a concern. I just wonder, how do Democrats receive somebody that's such a strong fighter like Congressman Jim Jordan? Uh, I'm thinking they're already going to be um, apprehensive put their hands up and try to stall everything. But then again, Democrats always stall everything, right? They, they, they never want to play ball. So that might be exactly what we need, uh, a fighter that's in Congress that's not going to take any guff and go for it. And we'll get into that as well. But I want you to hear this exchange uh, between Congressman Tim Burchett and Brian Kilmeade uh, because it was interesting, right? And, and it became very, um, very pointed, if you will. Listen to this. What do you think it's going to do for the Republican Party and chances of holding on to leadership and the majority when it looks like you're having you're the uh, ringleader of a circus led by Matt Gates, who likes to blow things up, but not offer any new ideas? Are you happy following Matt Gates? Is that your leader? I'm not following Matt Gates. I made my own decision. I didn't ask. Matt but if Matt Gates didn't approval, challenge, you wouldn't going to challenge. Do what? If Matt Gates didn't stand up, you weren't going to challenge. You know I that. Believe I, I believe I would have. Oh, come I on. I, and there, and there, oh, well, please, you, you know, were praying please, about please. it one minute. The next minute, you're going to lead an insurgency? So you don't think that praying about it's important? Is that what you're saying? One, one minute, you know, you're praying you're about how you're going to vote with Matt Gates. And the next minute, you're going to lead an insurgency? Listen, you got a predetermined answer to everything. I, I no, I have, an, I have an opinion about what's going on. Do you have and an opinion, t- too? And you talk over me every time I try to make All a right, point. Make your point. The point is, is that we're $33 trillion in debt. This speaker was woefully, woefully lacking in leadership skills. He always placed the blame somewhere else. America is going to be better off with new leadership. And right. that's the bottom line. And who line. is it? Possibly, possibly it could be Steve Scalise. It could be Elise Stefanik. It could be Roger Williams out of Texas. It could be... Um, uh, Mark Green out of Tennessee. So they all, supported, is, is, they all supported Kevin McCarthy, including the most conservative guy I know, Jim Jordan. Why are you smarter than Jim Jordan and, and the 210-plus Republicans? Why are you smarter? I represent my district, brother. And why are you smarter than me? You're right. condemning me well, because I'm just I, saying, I stand up on my own, and that's, that's I'm not what condemning I you. I'm questioning you. You don't like being no, you're questioned? Not. You're, no, you're just... You're, the line of questioning is very negative, and you know that, and I right. know that. You And, and when right. this is all over with, when this is all over with, and we have a new speaker and we're running smooth, let's have this conversation again. Well, there you go. Um, you know, their line, uh, they report, you decide. I, I hear uh, some tough questions being asked. I heard some answers there. I think only time tells. I believe that we can do well. I think there's a number of very qualified people. And it's not the the chaos that I think it's being painted as. Uh, but I think it's, 
you know, I tend to look at these things as things that the Democrats can use later to to try and hurt Republicans down the road. And I could totally see Biden saying, yeah, vote for Trump, vote, vote for the Republicans, the guys that want to shut down your government. They got rid of their own speaker, did this and did that. And of course, you could turn around and say, look, if the, if the speaker wasn't doing what he had to do and, and he failed to do what he agreed to do, then they were obviously within their rights to have the vote. And they had the vote. And the majority of Republicans opted to support McCarthy and uh, a small handful, a handful, excuse me, um, stood on whatever principle that they were standing on and decided to go for the vote. And Democrats obviously jumped in against McCarthy. So this is one of those things, again, are we going to fall apart? No, I don't think we fall apart. It's just like the government shutdown. You can't be afraid to take action. I, I just, my, my hope is that we can bounce back quickly and that this doesn't become another McCarthy type situation where we go into 15 rounds of voting because we can't get behind one person, a speaker. That I think is, is again, it's our government in action and it's, it's the system working. Uh, but I think it, it can be viewed negatively from a political perspective. And that's 10, you know, that tends to be what I look at and what I talk about. So, uh, I, I'm honestly, I'm not angry at anybody. I'm not on anybody's side on this one. I want to see America do well, and I want to see the Republicans be strengthened and be able to move forward. And it's, um, it, it's, it's a wonderful exercise, I believe, in being able to see, you know, what's what, who's who, where do you stand, and and allow the people to be more involved in the process. So if nothing else comes of it, that's good. I think that's a really good thing. And I want to get to our conversation with Congressman Ronnie Jackson who's going to be joining us, Congressman from Texas, who uh, supported McCarthy and want to get his view of what played out yesterday and what he expects to happen in the days to come. So we're going to do that straight ahead, plus your calls. We'll be doing calls all night uh, on these topics. So here's the number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Uh, by the way, your ratings are up. Congratulations. Thank I had somebody. You. It's always nice to check. I like to see, <laughs> even if they're friends, I like to see how are they doing? Are people listening, right? That's but right. You're, you're doing great. America at Night with Rich Valdez. What's paralyzed the House of Representatives has been the failure of Speaker McCarthy. What paralyzed the House of Representatives was not taking up appropriations bills. We left for a six-week vacation while the appropriations process hung in the balance. And because I forced these people to take a few votes, you think I'm paralyzing the House of Representatives? I think the House of Representatives has been paralyzed for the last several decades as we've refused to pass a budget. Refusing to pass a budget. That's been going on as long as I've been following politics. And I haven't seen somebody oust a speaker for that, but I understand uh, both sides of the coin here. And I want to get the scoop from... Congressman Ronnie Jackson from Texas's 13th District. Congressman Jackson, welcome, sir. Thank you, Rich. I appreciate you having me. Uh, thank you for joining us. I appreciate it. So uh, you're you're there. You're you're in the swamp. You're on Capitol Hill. 
Um, this thing goes down. Some people didn't expect it to go down uh, as quickly as it did, but it did. Uh, what was your initial reaction to this? Well, you know, I, I've been saying this for a long time, Rich. This was inevitable. This was coming. I mean, you may have seen that I, I was, I was uh, quoted uh, from uh, some, uh, some media uh, outlet. I can't remember exactly who I was talking to. A few weeks back, I had said that, you know, that McCarthy's uh, you know, time is, is, is limited. I mean, this was, this was on the horizon. There was, there was no way we were going to get around this. I didn't know, I didn't know when it was going to happen, but it was going to happen. It wasn't if, it was when. Um, and so I, I wasn't real surprised by it. I, I, you know, I don't know if the timing was the greatest. Uh, now that we're in a, uh, con- we're, you know, we're in a period right now working under a continuing resolution. Right. Uh, you know, we just have a few more days uh, to get some of these appropriations bills passed. Or we're going to have to be voting on on, on extending, you know, another, uh, you know, a, a doing another continuing resolution, which is an absolute nightmare. And that's so got us in this process, in this place to to start with is uh, inability for leadership to uh, to get these appropriations bills on the floor and and get them voted on. We have twelve appropriations bills, and whenever McCarthy came in, and you know, I you know. McCarthy did some good stuff. We had some good conservative legislation that came out of the House. I will say, unfortunately, most of it goes over to the Senate and just dies over there. They won't vote on it or put it on the floor, and it goes nowhere. So they become messaging bills to some extent, like our HR1, which are energy independence, and our border bill and all this other stuff. Good, solid conservative legislation that we got out of the House. You know, and uh, you know, maybe the Senate will pick it up and do something with it. Uh, I don't know, but uh, you know, it, it, so far they haven't. But the, the reality is, is that what got us into this is whenever McCarthy. He came in as our speaker. There were certain there were certain requirements, certain things that were that were laid out there that uh, you know that we we had changes in our rules and stuff. And one of the big things was that he promised that we would not do. Uh, that we would pass our appropriations bills and we wouldn't get ourselves in a situation where we're having to do continuing resolutions and and then do a big omnibus at the end of the year, which is what happens every single year. That's the way the government right. works now. It's pathetic. I mean, it's not the way it's supposed to work. We're supposed to do these appropriations bills. They're supposed to go through committee. They're supposed to get debated, voted on, come to the floor, go over to the Senate, get voted, and then they're all supposed to pass before the end of the fiscal year, which obviously is September 30, not even the end of the calendar year. And so we should have had this done a long time ago. And it didn't get done. And, you know, and uh, he was, you know, I, you know, McCarthy was held accountable for it. And uh, I, I, you know, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. I mean, I think, like I said, the timing maybe wasn't the greatest in, in you know, in, in you know, doing it during a CR because uh, we're under crunch right now. But it was going to happen. Now, you did not uh, vote to oust McCarthy, uh, but eight of your colleagues did. And, I, and I've heard from, from yeah. some of them and and. I, I honestly, uh, I understand what they're saying that like you, yeah. you just laid it out really well. They made a deal. There were rules and they followed the rules and kept their end of the deal. And he didn't. I get that part. Uh, and I agree with you about the timing and whatnot. Um, I guess some practical stuff. Does the new temporary speaker, uh, Patrick McHenry uh, or whomever it ends up being, uh, if there's another temporary speaker, if you don't vote in a new speaker soon enough, have the same power? I'm understanding it's limited. What are those limitations? <clears throat> He has no power to bring any bills to the floor or do anything else. Uh, his only power is to act as the speaker for things that are directly related to electing a new speaker. So we, he really has very limited authority. He can't do anything at all. So we're kind of dead in the water until we get a new speaker. Uh, so we, we need to make that happen as soon as possible. And, you know, I mean, I, I mean, we're, we're, we're not. So I'm still in D.C. I didn't get out of here today because I met with the Texas delegation and, and missed mm-hmm. my flight today, a meeting with them about uh, the speaker issues. Uh, so I'm not going to be able to, to fly out uh, back to Texas until tomorrow. But, uh, you know, I mean, 
you know, we, we, we don't have a lot of time to lose. I feel like we should just be here working this out right now. I don't feel like we should have even, you know, recessed and, and, but, you know, I think their, their thoughts were uh, some people need to cool off. Some tempers need to, you need to cool down and people need to, uh, you know, have an opportunity to step back and recalibrate a little bit. And we, we need to hear from people that want to run, obviously. So, uh, but, you know, we, we need to do this quickly. Uh, the, 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 you know, the country's dependent on us to, yeah, to get this done. And, you know, the Republicans promised a lot of us got voted you know, into office because we promised that we weren't going to continue to do things the way they've always been done. Right. And, uh, you know, that that's that's the path we're headed down right now. And and that's another reason, you know, the McCarthy, uh, you know, to some extent, you know, the reason I knew this was coming because it was a complete trust issue. I mean, you know, he's he's lost the trust of a certain mem- number of members, uh, you know, and he had made too many promises to too many people, and he couldn't keep these promises. And there were there was a cadre of people, these these eight or eight or so people, and there were probably more than that. Uh, that no matter what he did. <clears throat> But eight of them stood their ground. No matter what he did, they were never, ever, ever going to vote for McCarthy. Uh, you know, uh, for, for you know, they, they weren't going to support him anymore. There's nothing he could do, nothing he could offer them, nothing he could give them that would that would make them basically keep him as speaker. They were they, he was he was he was on his way out. And so my, the way I look at it is like, you know, whether it, it's just it wasn't doable. We have a small majority. We're down to a four seat majority right now, and it's like, wow. you know, it doesn't matter how it happened. He had to go because, you know, when you lose that level of trust, it's like trying to hit a fastball with a broken bat. You're never going to do it. You you just have to yeah. get a new bat. And that's the situation that we're in right now. We just we had to have a new speaker. This speaker lost the trust of enough people that it overcame a small, the small, minor, the small uh, majority that we have. And he was never going to get it back. So that's why I was saying it was inevitable. It was going to happen. And, you know, I think we have a real opportunity here to uh, to come out on top. Uh, you know, I mean, if we get our heads together, and we pick the right person and we, you know, we, we, we get somebody that we can all trust. We can push a lot of really strong legislation through and use the leverage that we have uh, to uh, to get stuff done. And that's why it's such a shame, because when this CR passed, they basically passed a clean CR, which I was totally opposed to and I didn't vote for. More Democrats voted for it than Republicans coming out of Republican House, which was that was McCarthy's kiss of death, too, because that's the yeah. second time that it happened. That happened with the debt ceiling, too. And that was the comment I made that, that, uh, that, that I said McCarthy was on his way out a few months ago, because I said if he does, if he continues to pass legislation out of a Republican-controlled House that has more Democrat votes than Republican votes, he's done. You, it, it, he, he will not survive. And, and that's exactly what happened. But we, we've got to we, we've got to get a speaker. We've got to get going. And, and I think that we can turn this around and we can make something positive out of this potential. I'm hoping. So now you guys are on recess until Tuesday. And on Tuesday, you have your your meeting to discuss nominations and whatnot. Uh, we have a, a less than a minute to go in this segment. So I just want to set the stage for, for our next segment. But I, what I'd like to discuss is what you expect um, to happen. I know there's a number of people that have thrown their hat in the ring. And I'm not asking you to speculate on who you're supporting. But I know that there's talk about Elise Stefanik, Roger Williams, Mark Green, and, of course, Jim Jordan, who announced today the first of them who officially announced. And I think Jordan's terrific. And he's tough and he's a fighter. And I wonder, you know, can... can can the Democrats handle a Jim Jordan? <laughs> so we'll get to that and more straight ahead. Folks, we're on with Congressman Ronnie Jackson. Don't move a muscle. We're coming right back. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. 
From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. So there are people on both sides that could do this. I think that um, their leader, uh, I know he's having some health problems, uh, but Steve Scalise uh, is a great guy. Uh, I think Mm -hmm. that um, Cole uh, would be a sort of... uh, uh, at the kind of tone that we would like to see. Uh, but I'm going to let them handle their business, and we're going to handle ours, and hopefully they'll do something that will make the American people pleased uh, with our activities here in Washington. That's uh, Democrat Congressman uh, Clyburn, James Clyburn, saying he would like to see uh, Steve Scalise or Congressman Cole uh, become the next speaker. We're on with former White House physician and Texas Congressman Ronnie Jackson. Congressman Jackson, uh, what are your thoughts in regards to what Clyburn is saying? I, I think if Clyburn wants those guys, I probably don't. What say you? Well, yeah, you know, the issue is that Clyburn won't vote for any of them. He won't vote for any Republican, nor will <laughs> any of the other Democrats. Uh, so, you know, they're, they're going to be a no on every single person that we put up. It doesn't matter who it is from our conference. And, you know, the, the difficult issue is here is that, you know, to win this race, you have to get 218 votes, 218. Yeah. And we have 221 Republicans right now. We have a three-seat majority right now. Uh, and rumor is that Kevin McCarthy is also uh, is going to resign now, is going to leave. So that's going to narrow our majority even more. So you're, you basically have to get you have to win the vote of almost every single Republican in the House of Representatives to do this because the Democrats will not give one single vote. And like you said, you probably don't want their vote anyways. And once you get their vote, people are going to be wondering why they're voting for you. But, you know, we got some good candidates right now. I mean, you know, Jim Jordan, uh, Steve Scalise, uh, Kevin Hearn. I think they're the, they're the only three that are kind of officially in the race right now. There are other people those names that are being batted around. But really, those are the only three that are that, are, that, I, that I know of that have declared themselves as. as as running for this. And I'll be honest with you, all three really strong conservatives, strong. I mean, more conservative than, than McCarthy was uh, for sure. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think any, any of the three of them would be, would be a fantastic speaker. Uh, you know, I have, a, I have an unbelievable respect for Steve Scalise and all he's been through. And, you know, I, I, I could not be a bigger fan of Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan's been sure. a, a personal role model for me ever since the day I got here. You won't find anybody who's more con, you know, conservative and principled. And uh, I just I think I think, you know, we got some good choices. So if we can if we can get one of these guys, we're going to we're going to come out on top. Uh, you know, but they have to get to, like I said, 221 votes. And there's some there's still some some hurt feelings within our within our conference right now, to be honest with you. And, you know, you're hearing things like, oh, you know, like uh, some of the some of the uh, 
some of the McCarthy folks are still are a little upset and bitter with Steve Scalise's team uh, for one reason or another. And, you know, they're whipping votes for Jim Jordan, which is a little bit unusual because, like you said, Jim, Jim's prop, Jim used to be, you know, he, he used to be the chair of the Freedom Caucus. And so, but, you know, and he's the chairman of our Judiciary Committee now, and he's really done a great job of oh, yeah. appealing to everybody in our kind. He's just fantastic. And so, but you have to wonder if, you know, some of the more liberal people in our party, some of the, some you know, some of the right. people closer to the, to the to the center in our party if they would vote for for Jim Jordan but you know some of those people were hardcore McCarthy people and if they're if they're not willing to vote for Scalise because you know they have some kind of you know personal they the feelings hurt somehow uh, in 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 the, in the process of all of this and and they're going to go to Jordan for that reason Jordan you know he may he may get close to the votes he needs and maybe he'll get two twenty one I don't know uh, Steve might get two twenty one as well and Kevin Hearn like I said I think is the dark horse in this one right now but you know he's also a good solid conservative from Oklahoma. Yeah, and, and that's really the concern. I mentioned it in my, my, my opening comments before you came on, was that I don't know if, if those that are friendly with the Democrats um, would would go for a guy like Jordan and if, and if they could get him across the finish line or if he could get across the finish line with those factions. I mean, th- what you're saying is, is actually pretty interesting with this Scalise factor that may actually yeah. favor Jim Jordan, and I think that's a, that's a huge win. Um, whether yeah. or not, you know, the the Democrats double down because he's so effective and he's a fighter that, you know, they can't stand them. I I feel like they would do absolutely anything they could do to prevent Jim Jordan from being speaker, as opposed to Kevin McCarthy, who they could have, who they were used to working with. So I I think that's a, that's an interesting dynamic. How important do you think that is? I mean, I think it's, I think it's key. I mean, like you said, if, if there, if, if the reality is, is that there are people on the McCarthy side, former McCarthy allies, that are out there whipping a vote essentially for Jim Jordan. Like I said, those are people that generally you would think Jordan would have a problem with, you know, right. uh, in, in the party. I mean, you know, those are the people that would be least inclined to vote for Jim Jordan because they they're more to the center of our party. But if those people are coming over, uh, you know, and, and being convinced to come over to Jim, then Jim's got a real good chance. I mean, you know, I mean, he's he's he, he's I mean, you know, so he'll give he and Steve and Steve obviously is well liked. I mean, everybody in the conference loves Steve. You know, I mean, he's just been he's a, he's a fighter too. You know, he's been through a lot. You know, he's he's sick right now, but he's he's recovering and, and looking good. So you know, they they both have a really good chance. I think it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. What is the process when you guys return on Tuesday? What does that look like? Well. <laughs> And so we're going to get here on Tuesday, and then uh, we're going to have a conference. We'll have uh, the whole conference will get together. Uh, each one, everybody that's interested in running will show up, and they'll give they'll give a speech and talk about why you know they should be the speaker, and get and, and then we will get together when it's all over, and we will vote. Uh, and, and we will try to come up with a consensus on who we want to put forward as our as our choice for speaker. Now, everybody's not going to be on the same page. And what I suspect is going to happen is somebody will win. You know, it'll be it'll be pretty close and, and we'll end up, you know, agreeing to disagree. And, and there'll be there'll be two or three people that will be nominated the following day on Wednesday on the floor of the House. There'll be some official nominating, uh, um, you know, people that get up and do the official no- nominating of, of these people, and then we'll vote on them. And, and everybody knows what that looks like. It, we went through 15 rounds of it with Kevin right. McCarthy, so we'll start that whole process again of an individual roll call where they go down the roll one at a time, call everybody alphabetically, and you have to stand up and say who you're going to, uh, you know, who you're supporting for speaker, and they'll tally it. If they get to 218, they become the speaker. If they don't, then we have another round of voting, and, they, and the voting just keeps on going and going and going until we find some 
that gets 218 votes. And it could be that neither one of these guys can get 218, and then somebody will, somebody or, or Kevin Herndon, any, any of these three guys gets 218, and then somebody else that, that that's not even in the race right now may rise you know, because we'll have to break at some point, go back to conference and meet again, and, and there may be a consensus that these that these people aren't going to get the votes. So who are we going to go with now? And there'll be a new there'll be a new uh, batch of people that are interested whose names will be put forward, and then we'll go back and do it again. I just hope that we get it done pretty quickly. Like I said, we don't have a lot of time to waste. We get we have important business that needs to be done. It has to be done before this uh, continued resolution expires. So we we need to get it together and we need to get it done. I, I think one, in our conference, to be honest yeah. with you, there's a lot of people that are excited about getting stuff done right now. So I'm hoping that there's going to be a new attitude. We're going to find somebody we can trust. Everybody's going to be really anxious to show the American people that we're on the same page. Yeah, I, I love that idea. And honestly, I think that's what America needs. Uh, my, one last question for you is there's been a number of members, um, at least rumors that a number of a few, two or three that I've heard, are considering um, putting forth a nomination for the 45th president of the United States to be speaker. <laughs> now, while may, that may not happen, I do realize yeah. that when you have a four-seat majority that may be a three-seat majority, um, if three people say, I'm nominating Donald John Trump, yeah. it makes it near almost impossible, right, to, to get the votes you need if anybody's an outlier. Uh, how realistic of a possibility is that, in your opinion? I mean, I think it's possible. I think it would be something that that that, uh, that would happen, and, and would you know basically ask for the first few rounds. I think you know I, I talk to President Trump pretty frequently. Uh, I want him to be my next president. You know, I want him to be my president right. again. And you know, and I think that uh, obviously he's got a lot on his plate right now with the legal stuff, and uh, yeah. you know, and trying to run for president at the same time. I, I don't, I don't imagine that he would want the, you know, the the you know the the responsibility of trying to add this to everything else he's got going on. So I don't know that he's even interested in it. I'll probably talk to him sometime in the next day or two, and and, and you know, and, and get his thoughts on this. But there will be somebody. I mean, he people are not, you know, I mean, I'm, you know, you won't find a bigger Trump supporter than Ronnie Jackson. I'm. I mean, you know, obviously yeah. everyone knows that, you know, that I'm in his corner and, you know, if somebody throws his name up there, I'll probably vote for him, uh, you know, and <laughs> or I will vote for him, uh, you know. But like I said, I don't I don't think that I think that Trump will probably say, hey, you know, I'm flattered, but, you know, uh, I'm going to endorse this person or that person. I think he'll get behind one of the nominees and he'll he'll just ask everybody. He'll say, you know, thank you for the uh, for the trust and the confidence. I'm, I'm flattered. But, you know, I, I, I'm running for president. And uh and I think he he would uh, he would he would take himself out of it. Is that that's my suspicion? But it's it's yeah. probable that it, that it might happen. But yeah. Now, um, should this happen? Do you? And I know nobody has a crystal ball. But do you think this ultimately is going to be another fifteen rounds to get somebody elected, or do you think that we get a speaker in in a shorter time frame? Oh man, I don't know. That's really hard to say. I, I think uh, you know the first few votes is really gonna it, it's gonna it's gonna declare a lot about which way we're headed, right. whether it's a long process or not. I hope that we can get together on Tuesday and that we can see that there's a real consensus behind one candidate and we'll go out there. And I'm sure the people that are supporting you know, the other two candidates are going to want at least get out there and, and put their name out a couple of times. But hopefully everybody realizes that it's not good for it's not good for, uh, you know, for the Republican Party. It's not good for the House of Representatives. It's not good for the country uh, to just go through days and days of voting for speaker. I think people realize that. And I think that uh, a lot of people, are, you know, they want to get this done and get it done quickly. So I'm hoping that we don't have to go through that. Congressman Ronnie Jackson, former White House uh, physician. You're a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot. Keep fighting, sir. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Rich. I appreciate it. You bet. You're welcome anytime. Folks, we're coming back to your calls and more straight ahead. Don't move a muscle. 
This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America, this is night. This is Rich Valdez. So, yeah, do I think, wish we would have done things a little bit differently so we didn't have this debacle here? What, what, uh, me, meanwhile, when everything was really going our way, not that we want Bidenomics to fail, but Bidenomics is failing. Uh, a border that's completely out of control, scandals uh, as far as you can see going on at the White House, and yet here we are uh, shooting ourselves in, in both feet. That's Congressman Dan Muser from Pennsylvania. Uh, saying we're shooting ourselves in both feet and, of course, saying, I don't want Bidenomics to fail. It's doing that all on its own. Uh, he's always a, a, a real um, trip to listen to. I, I like Dan Muser a lot. I think he's a good congressman. Uh, let's go to your calls. Todd in Atlanta, Georgia, WGKA. Go right ahead. Hey, yes. Um, I just want to say that I think that um, Kevin McCarthy kept his word and uh, Matt Gates wouldn't have had to make good on his promise. And right. the McCarthy made the mistake of thinking, you know, the, the Democrats were going to bail him out of this. And and when he caved in to Biden on raising the debt ceiling until you know, 2025, you know, that was it for me. You know, I was done with him. Now, he's done a great job with, you know, getting these investigations going. I hope Jim Gordon stay, stays on that because we need him there. I would like to see Ms. Stefanik maybe be, uh, be the next speaker. But, you know, this kind of organized chaos, you know, this is – kind of reminds me what was happening in the Congress in the 1700s. And I think that the stakes are just too high. We're being invaded by thousands, tens of thousands of people every week. You know, we're giving billions to the Ukraine with no inspector general, nobody tracing the money. And, you know, it's just out of control. So I'm glad that they're fighting. We need somebody tough. And, uh, you know, McCarthy brought this on himself. Yeah, really good point, Todd. Excellent. I couldn't, uh, I, I couldn't add to that. I think you're, you're right. It's lamentable. The timing, I think, as Congressman Jackson pointed out, the timing is really off. It could have come at a better time when we weren't in such a crunch, and that's probably my issue with it. But uh, I, I understand both sides of the coin here. And you're right. There was a lot of good things that McCarthy did, but uh, this is kind of uh, something he brought about. And, um, and here we are. And hopefully if we can come out of it with Jim Jordan or one of the others mentioned— no harm, no foul, right? We continue to move forward. Thank you for your call, Todd. I appreciate it. Let's continue. Let's go uh, with Edward, Tampa, Florida, W-E-N-G. Edward, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Yeah, good evening, Rich. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Yes, uh, my vote is going to be for Mr. Stephen Scalise, uh, especially after his comeback from his... Um, from getting shot by a crazy liberal? Somebody- yeah, I don't want to say that, but I think he's somebody who would be acceptable for both sides. And they're having a meeting here, uh, just changing a little bit here, 
uh, add in a little topic here. They're having a meeting in Costa Rica, Panama. Panama is very key because there's a road called Darien Gap, which is key to coming mm-hmm. up through, uh, through that area. We need to be in that meeting along with Mexico and some other countries, too. Dominican Republic has closed its border. Yeah. They're sending a uh, national force. Kenyan's going to be the lead on that to uh, get over there to Haiti. And there's Haitians coming over here, too. So yeah. this is all connected. And I'd like to see whoever's going to be next going there with a delegation and uh, be in that meeting. Uh, great point, Edward. Thank you for your call. Uh, Tampa, Florida, WENG. Big shout out to you guys. And uh, listen, I, I think we, we've got to close our borders, too. We can't just leave it for, for other countries to say. And listen, the Dominican Republic is closing a border. They're on an island that they share with Haiti called Hispaniola. And they're, they're, they're doing it, right? Because that's what you do. You have to defend a border when the border has been compromised. Lamentably, in the United States, we have all of our government power, in effect, allowing the border to remain porous, some say open, and this is why it's so problematic. Uh, folks, we're coming right back to the rest of your call. Straight ahead, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. 833 Welcome back. We continue with Americans weighing in on who is going to be the next Speaker of the House. Uh, let's go to Eugene, Oregon, KPNW. Let's check in with Kara. Hey, Kara, you're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hi, thank you. Uh, yes, somewhere outside Eugene, Oregon, <laughs> mysteriously <laughs> enough. I, I was thinking that it would be really great. I love this guy. I'd, I'd love him for just anything. Uh Senator Kennedy from Louisiana. Oh, John Kennedy from Louisiana. He's terrific and funny. Funny is everything. Funny, so funny we would at least be entertained. <laughs> right, you're right. I mean, I don't think senators can run in, in, for the House Speaker in, 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 this, in you know, the House of Representatives, but you're right. I think he'd be a, he'd be amazing. <laughs> he, I, I'm with you. I'd vote for him to, for just about anything. The guy's incredibly entertaining, and he's really smart. And through his humor, he's able to make some amazing points that are kind of like irrefutable. You know, he's got a real way with words, and I, I think you're spot on. But outside of Kennedy, uh, anybody that we mentioned, Jordan or Stefanik or any of the others that have you've heard mentioned, uh, do you, who, who do you think um, is is uh, the best candidate? Well, we can't ask Gates, I guess. <laughs> we well, Gates said him. he wasn't interested. That's what I mean. Well, anyway, yeah. he was stirring things up a bit, so, I, you know, it would seem kind of self-serving or something. Well, uh, anyway, um, I'm sticking with John Kennedy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well put. 
Kara, uh, thank you very much. I appreciate your call. Big shout out to everybody in or near and around Eugene, Oregon. And shout out to KPNW. Thank you, Kara. I appreciate it. Uh, let us continue. We've got, well, actually, we, we will continue. How much time do I have? One minute. I don't want to cut anybody short. So what I'll do is uh, I will take a call in the next segment and we'll talk a little bit about more about Jim Jordan's announcement. And also, I just want to take a moment to uh, remind you that we've got Vince Callahan coming up. There's uh, some news headlines that came out saying that yelling at kids might be as damaging as physical or sexual abuse. Now, I found this to be interesting because, you know, I think most parents, I'm a parent, and most parents think, you know, I will yell at my, I will rip my kid to shreds, but I'm not going to lay a finger on it. And if this thing is true... Man, a lot of us are in bad shape. <laughs> so we're going to find out. Uh, we're going to talk with, he's a mental health expert and a psychologist, uh, Vince Callahan. He's going to join us a little bit later. But we're going to get to the rest of your call straight ahead. And we're going to continue uh, our discussion on who's the best speaker and what's up with yelling at kids. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez coming right back. city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Happy to be with you this Tuesday night. Nope, Wednesday night. <laughs> I never know. Working at night, you lose track of things. Anyway, our phone number, if you want to join us, we're taking calls throughout the evening tonight, 833-482-5337. And in a little bit, we're going to talk about the effects of yelling on your children. There's a new report out that says yelling at your kids can have the same effects on them as physical or sexual abuse. And again, I'll repeat, I think if that is the case, man, we're in bad shape as parents. Uh, I don't think there's a parent out there who hasn't lost it and said, you know, some things they probably shouldn't have said. So uh, we're going to find out about that in a little bit with uh, Vince Callahan. But right now, I want to I want to take you back. Uh, obviously, we're talking about the speaker's race, and I'm going to get to your calls momentarily. But back in 2016, uh, a guy named... Donaldus Magnus, El Trompito, the 45th president of these United States. He said, we're going to build a wall, big, beautiful wall. Listen to this. We're going to build the wall. We have no choice. We have no choice. Build that wall. 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 Of course, now that was 2016. Some, I don't know, what is that, seven years ago? And uh, of course, he was widely criticized by his um, opponent in 2020 
who is the now the president, Joe El Baboso Biden. And Joe Biden said, no, we're not building any walls. Listen to this. No, I'm, there will not be another foot of wall constructed on my administration, number one. Number two, what I'm going to focus on, and, the, and your, uh, uh, the fact is that somebody in this group written a lot about the border. Um, I'm going to make sure that we have border protection, but it's going to be based on making sure that we use high-tech capacity to deal with it. Now, that's Joe Biden way back when saying that there will not be another foot of border wall. You heard him say it. I don't have to do my Biden impression. But guess what? Today, according to the Associated Press, the Biden administration announced that they've waived 26 federal laws to build a border wall in South Texas. They announced that today. So Biden is building the wall. He said he wasn't going to build a wall. Biden's finally coming to his senses, realizing we are destroying the country. Now, this may be a political ploy. So you can say, look, we built the wall. We did everything we could build a wall. Let him in through the other side. Whatever he's going to do, he's going to do. But the fact that the Department of Homeland Security posted the announcement on the U.S. Federal Registry with very little details outlining the construction in uh, Star County, Texas, which is part of a very busy Border Patrol sector seeing very high illegal entry. But according to the government's data, about 245,000 illegal entries have been recorded in this region alone during the current fiscal year. Just listen to that. The current fiscal year. Unbelievable. So there's... Uh, a statement from Alejandro Mayorkas, you know, the guy who just got busted down to making a dollar a year. Uh, he says there is presently an acute and immediate need to construct physical barriers and roads in the vicinity of the border of the United States in order to prevent unlawful entries into the United States in these areas. Alejandro Mayorkas, secretary of the Department of Homeland Security. That's what he said. That's a quote from the Secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas. So now, is this not shocking to you? I mean, I literally read this and I laughed. I said, unbelievable. I can't believe these guys are in charge of our country. But the fact that we've got Trump shouting from the rooftops and now Biden saying, we're never going to build another foot of border wall. And he's building a border wall. I've got to tell you, this is absolutely rich. It is absolutely rich. I, I want to hear what you guys have to say about this and about the speaker's race. Let's go to your calls. Let's see. Where are we going right now? Uh, let's go to Pat, Sedona, Arizona. Very quickly, sir. Yeah, Rich, nice. Good show tonight. Let Thank me tell you. you something. Uh, as an American citizen and a, uh, and a voter, I'll tell you, it, it's a circus and it's embarrassing. But I'm going to tell you something. I'll tell you the guy I like. The guy that is the temp in the uh, uh, Patrick you know, McHenry. The, yeah, Patrick McKinney. He got rid of the witch of the West. He got <laughs> he rid of did. Pelosi. He kicked her out. He's going to kick out more people. And I'm going to tell you what, that is what McCarthy goofed. He should, you know, they say she had something on him. Who knows? I mean, our government. Is really forgotten who they work for, and that's us. And we're all suffering from their lack of the border and the economy. I was just at the grocery store today, and I and my heart broke when I see people making choices between food and medicine, especially the older yeah. folks who are on fixed income. That is not right. I fought for this country so this would not maybe happen 
to our country. I saw in other countries, but in this country, I really didn't want that to happen. But it's no, nobody does. You know how you're talking about that one problem uh, thing about yelling at your kids is wrong? Well, maybe as American citizens to start yelling at our representatives. And maybe- I think you're 100% right, Pat. We need to start yelling at them. <laughs> we need to start writing them. We need to start challenging them. We need to run against them. We need to make sure they're held accountable. And, and to that, I'm thankful for, for what happened with, you know, people being held accountable. And, and, and you know, I think it's, it, it stinks that we had to do it this way at this time. I'm hopeful that we have a positive outcome moving forward. And if we get a speaker like Jordan, then it, it was all for good reason. Uh, if we don't, then I don't know. What, what is my... my uh, my friend and mentor, Mark Levin, say, oy vey, right? So uh, I don't know how it's going to end up, but you're right, Pat. I think you're 100% right. And kudos to Patrick McHenry, the temporary uh, acting speaker, uh, for kicking Nancy Pelosi out of the speaker's office, which she never relinquished back to Kevin McCarthy. Uh, she's been hanging out in the fancy digs all along. So excellent point. Thank you, Pat. Uh, let's quickly go to uh, Jim in Las Cruces, New Mexico. Go right ahead, quickly. I want Donald Trump to be the uh, speaker, and I'm not even a Republican. Why is that? I just love Donald Trump. Yeah, I get it. Listen, I think Trump would and be I'm good a good no speaker. party preference voter. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think Trump would do well in, in whatever capacity he goes into because he, he goes hard. He works hard. He's a smart guy. He understands the players, and I think that's what really makes him shine. And, and he's a fighter. He, 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 you know, sometimes uh, some people think he's too hard of a fighter, but either way, I think uh, you're right. He would be successful. Jim in Las Cruces, New Mexico. Thank you for tuning in on KOBE out in New Mexico. Big shout out to everybody listening tonight. Let's go to Brad, Champaign, Illinois, W-S-O-Y. Brad, go right ahead. Hi, Rich. Uh, you brought up Trump's name is being tossed around for the speakership. And yes, uh, if the Republicans were bold enough to do that, I think it's checkmate on the Democrat Party, because from what I've learned constitutionally, the, a speaker of the House cannot be uh, arrested because they're not subject to the judiciary. They can't be dragged to court dates. And so I think put, the idea of putting Trump, like the last caller said, in the speakership, you know, it, it would be a checkmate move. I mean, they could, it would delay his trials till after the election. Uh, the Democrat Party wants to play games. Uh, I think we could play them too, right? Old enough to play games. <laughs> I think I think it's an interesting point. I don't know that he's above prosecution, but I do know he would be protected in all of his speech because of the speech and debate clause that protects Congress and the Constitution. So it's an interesting point. They floated it last time, and and he didn't say no, but he just laughed it off. Uh, I, I, I if that were to happen, I mean that would be the ultimate. Uh, uh, checkmate, as as you guys mentioned, I think it, it, it's an interesting thing. I don't think it's going to happen, but you never know. Nothing, nothing surprises me anymore. Brad, thanks for calling in from Champaign, Illinois, WSOY. Big shout out to you guys. And folks, we're going to continue our conversation with Vince Callahan and discussing whether is it just as detrimental when you yell at your kids as if as if your kids were sexually abused or beaten. Uh, this is shocking to me. Stick around. You're going to find out more. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
This is America. This is Night. This is Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. So we've got uh, this report out that says that adults shouting at children can be as harmful to a child's development as sexual or physical abuse. And that's according to a new study. Uh, this this study was published in the Journal of Child Abuse and Neglect. It was reviewed by uh, 166 or it reviewed 166 earlier studies to produce a detailed analysis of the existing literature on this particular topic. The authors of the study, they called for childhood verbal abuse as its own category of maltreatment to facilitate prevention of said abuse. And I, I found this to be, you know, I don't think yelling at kids is good. I, I've done it to my kids and I've seen it's not good. And I've tried to adjust my approach to not do it. And uh, I think, honestly, whether your kids are young or old, um, yelling really doesn't help. Uh, I think oftentimes it only helps the parent who's really frustrated. And many years ago, Dr. James Dobson uh, had mentioned something. He said, look, I'm not against physical discipline, but if you're going to do it, you can't do it while you're mad. You know, you don't get to hit your kid when you're mad because the kid loses the idea that it's it's discipline and they think it's just, um, you know, you beating them up because you're mad. And, and that had a lasting impact on me. And it, it didn't always work. <laughs> I, I'm definitely guilty as charged. But it, it, it gets you thinking. And now seeing something like this makes me think, man, I hope that um, this is not all it's cracked up to be. But if it is, it is. And we're going to find out about it. Uh, with Dr. Vince Callahan. He's the founder of the Florida Institute for Neural Discovery. You could check them out at F-I-N-D, Florida Institute for Neural Discovery, F-I-N-D-F-L.com, F-I-N-D-F-L.com. And Dr. Vince Callahan, welcome back, sir. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. So I'm looking at this, uh, you know, the article about the, the study. I haven't reviewed the actual study, but this to me is shocking. And I'm already experiencing uh, some pretty intense feelings of guilt if, if this is in fact the case. W- what do you make of this um, new report that's out saying that chi- um, yelling at your kids is as harmful as physical child abuse or child sexual abuse? It actually goes along with the research that I've done the last 13 years, and the key here is that it hinders their development. So a child, when you, we all have in our brains an alarm system, that fight, flight, or freeze, and when yeah. we in, get in survival mode, we are at that place of, do I have to, if there's a bear at the door, am I going to beat up the bear, run through the bear, or am I going to hide? We get in that fight, flight, or freeze mode. So when a child is exposed to toxic, chronic stress, no matter what that stress is, if it's physical abuse, sexual abuse, or the yelling, in a child's mind, those are all the same. So the perception of the abuse is the same. And so what this research is really showing is that what happens in the brain is that the size and function of the brain is changed because of the stress. Now we know that physical abuse can be more intense um, than yelling. We, that, that's logical. We understand that. But when you really look at what's going on inside the brain, that's what this is really saying is that that child is feeling the same thing and perceiving that bear or you as that bear, that same thing. 
uh, and it creates that problem in the brain. It creates in the limbic system, we get into this whole toxic chronic stress where the cortisol dump is on 24-7 and it doesn't ever stop. And now you're in hyper alert. Now your frontal lobe is all getting wonky with the limbic system and you are, can't do objective objectivity, executive planning, critical thinking skills, executive functioning skills. All of these things are inhibited because of the stress. This is fascinating and mind-blowing. Uh, so let me ask you a question. Um, I, I've, I have ADHD, which is, uh, as you know, a, um, an issue with executive function. Uh, mm -hmm. You just mentioned executive functions being imp uh, as a result of this. Now, I was not really yelled at as a kid. Um, I got away with everything. But I'm thinking, is this possibly um, a cause of ADHD or is that strictly hereditary or is there any correlation between the two? What are your thoughts? Um, ADHD is a neurological issue. Um, and sometimes children who are what I call um, stressed brain children are actually misdiagnosed with ADHD or ADD. Um, hmm. Like I said, it's a neurological problem, but it mimics or it looks like a stressed brain child. You have a lot of the same dynamics and you, you have a lot of the same brain issues that you would have an ADHD or ADD along with a stressed brain child. Um, but the issue is that if you do certain things to restore that stressed brain child, those things will, will take effect. If you do those same things with an ADD child, it won't have the same impact because it's ADD. It's a neurological issue. It's hardwiring versus software. Got it. So a neurological issue is kind of saying I'm a head case because I have ADHD. Gotcha. <laughs> now, uh, you mentioned something interesting, uh, which is stress brain child. Um, tell us what that means. Well, when, when you are, every child wants to attach or to bond to someone, which is why they're so stuck on screens right now. Don't even get me started on that one. But mm -hmm. um, they want to attach. They want to bond. They want to connect with. They want to feel love. They want to feel nurture. So when those things happen, we develop neuropathways to make that happen in our life, to navigate that. When we grow up in a home that's toxic, if there's physical abuse, sexual abuse, abandonment, poor nutrition, adult psychiatric disorders, or drug abuse, those six things are what's called early life stress. And there's actually a test out called the ACEs quiz, which will predict your physical ailments based on early life stress in, in, in your life as a child. Um, but when you are exposed to that toxic stress in something that's a stressor that lasts for longer than two weeks at a time can actually become toxic stress. When that happens in the developing brain, you, you actually begin to change the size and function of the brain. So now that student or that child has begins to have problems with their executive functioning, critical thinking, objectivity, planning, which is also like ADD. It's very similar, but they also are on hyper alert. They're always dumping that stress hormone called cortisol. And when they're dumping that all the time, even breaking a pencil can be something that's a major traumatic event because they're on such hyper alert. The cortisol wow. dump takes about 15 minutes to peak, but it takes about three hours to go away unless you do something to change it. 
That's why when you have a fight with your spouse, that's first 15 minutes, that cortisol dump, that stress, that fight, flight, or freeze is kicking in, but it takes three hours for it to go away. That's why if you try to talk to them in that three-hour window, they're still irritated at you. Wow. We're going to dig into that in a second, and I definitely want to know why um, you, your, um, your opinion on screens. <laughs> We're going to get into that as well. Folks, don't go anywhere. Our phone number, 833-482-5337, 833-4VALDEZ. We're coming right back with Dr. Vince Callahan. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. Welcome back. We're on with Dr. Vince Callahan. He's the founder of the Florida Institute for Neural Discovery. And we're discussing the impact of yelling at your kids. And a new study is reiterating research Dr. Callahan's done for 13 years that uh, indicates that, yes, absolutely, if you yell at your kids, it's just as bad on the brain as sexual abuse and or physical abuse. And I think this is, uh, again, something nobody ever told me. <laughs> there should be a parenting course when they give you your kid at the hospital and say, hey, by the way, here's this, 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 and this. Anyway, let's uh, go to the calls real quick. Uh, Sue in Schwanksville, Pennsylvania, WXDE. She's calling in uh, with a question for Dr. Callahan. Sue, you're on with Dr. Vince Callahan and Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hi, Dr. Callahan. Uh, it's a very interesting topic. Like Rich, I, too, am ADHD or what I would call not neurotypical, but what I was thinking is, uh, in addition to parents yelling, in my personal experience, parental indifference, I think, is just as damaging. Um, it can, you know, result in low self-esteem, low achieving, and, um, you know, early studies of autism by Bruno Bettelheim, he was looking at parental indifference as a cause. Of course, you know, different now, but um, in my personal experience, having a parent who never says, anything positive about your achievements or a good job or recognizing anything or, you know, constantly like putting you down. It's not yelling, but it's very damaging. Yes, so I would agree a hundred percent with you. Um, it's, a, it's the other side of that spectrum. I grew up in the home where dad was emotionally distant and didn't say a lot of attaboys and way to go, or I love you and those kind of things. And I know the impact that it had on me growing up. So you're absolutely right, 100%, that the other side of that pendulum, if you will, is the indifferent parent. And again, we're back to the perception of the child, that bear at the door, whatever that bear looks like. If it's indifference, if it's anger, that perception of uh, do I run, do I fight, or do I hide, that perception is what gets the brain in its uh, wonkiness, so to speak. I'll use a clinical term there, um, but it, that's, you're absolutely right. And it, it damages a child just as much. Thank you, Sue. I appreciate that, uh, bringing that up. Now, Dr. Hallen, I just want to circle back to something you said, uh, because uh, it was very interesting to me. <clears throat> when you were talking about the stress-brained child and the cortisol dump that takes 15 minutes to peak and three hours to kind of dissipate, when, when you have these, these situations, um, is there any other way to turn off cortisol that's kind of always flowing on high? 
I'm so glad you asked that question. Yes, that's the secret sauce here. Because what, if you understand, let me go back to brain 101 for about 10 seconds. Sure. Sensory information, your five senses always gather information to feed the brain so the brain can do a response to that information. Okay? So whatever sensory input's coming in, now we're back to that perception piece of the bear, but whatever that sensory information comes in creates that cortisol or another hormone in the brain. So actually what you can do, because the stress hormone is a bully, it doesn't live at the same time in the brain that, let's say, oxytocin does, which is the bonding hormone, or dopamine, which is the feel-good hormone. Cortisol doesn't live with those two. It doesn't, it doesn't like those two. So mm-hmm. in order to bring somebody out of constant stress or that toxic stress, if you do something, I know this is going to sound so simple, but it works. If you bring them into a, wow, you've done a great job, and I, it's an affirming uh, conversation, or you bond or connect with him, you instantly stop the cortisol dump. This is wow. what I try and teach teachers. So let's pretend that Johnny, he got up late, and he didn't comb his hair, and he didn't brush his teeth, and he didn't want breakfast, and he's grouchy. And now there's this big argument at the home and mom or dad's trying to get ready for school and all this kind of stuff. And now we drop Johnny off at the curb. Uh, His teacher's waiting for him. He's coming loaded for bear, so to speak, because he's got that cortisol dump because of the stress that just happened. If the teacher understands, if I can recognize Johnny's uh, stressed brain, if I know what's going on and I can see the warning signs as a teacher, I can do something that's either make him feel good or affirm him or connect and bond with him. And if I do that, I'm going to bring that cortisol dump down to zero in a split second. And I just changed Johnny's entire day. And what's a, a strategy for that? Just just trying to, to calm them? Like, what, how would they approach that? Positive affirmation. I say speak something positive until they smile. I did this in a workshop one time where I asked the teachers, um, let, me, let me try an experiment here and let me just start talking to a teacher and I want to affirm you for being in my class and being in this workshop. And I did it until she smiled. It took 15 seconds. Wow. And I said, how do you feel right now? And she says, oh, I feel really good. You, you made me smile. And I taught them the lesson of how to do that with a child if you understand the warning signs, if you know what you're looking for, which is something that, that I uh, train teachers on, if you, if you know that, you can do something to change that cortisol dump and change the entire day of that student based on that positive affirmation or that bonding moment that changes the neurotransmitter in the brain. It is so simple, but it is life-changing. Wow. Now, is this approach something that would work with adults as well that are going through the same thing? Let's say you're fighting with your wife, your girlfriend, your spouse, your husband, whatever it may be, um, or an angry caller on my radio show. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. If, If my wife and I have an intense discussion, my job is to try to bond with her or to try and make her feel good by giving her affirmations because I want to change the neurotransmitter in her brain from cortisol dump to non stress. And, wow. and I have learned as a husband how to do that to where we actually live a drama-free home. We, we don't fight and argue. It's probably been five or seven years since we had an argument in our home. Because I've learned folks. this. 
We're on with Dr. Vince Callahan. He's the founder of the Florida Institute for Neural Discovery. Check out their website, find-fl.com, find-fl.com. So these strategies that you're talking about really kind of work across the board for when there's a, a major cortisol dump. Now, when you talked about it impacts the size of the brain. Uh, if a child goes through this, and, and again, maybe a child's coming from a home where there's neglect or you adopt a child that, that comes from a background of neglect and or abuse, um, does this mean that they're permanently stunted in their their brain development because of this or no. is there a way around that? No, it does not mean that whatsoever. The brain operates on a use it or lose it principle. In other words, the things that you do that are repeated experience-wise create longer and stronger pathways. Uh, for instance, driving. If, if you remember the first time you drove, you had your hands at 10 and 2, you didn't want the radio on, you didn't want anybody drinking coffee, you didn't want to have a conversation. Right. It, you know, you're not doing makeup, you're not doing anything because you're focused on driving. 15, 10, year, 10 years, 15 years later, you get in your car, you drive with two fingers, you're on the phone, you're drinking coffee, you're having a conversation, you're doing all those things. What's the difference? It's the automatic behavior that happened because of the repeated experience. So if a child has learned to navigate stress, there are longer, stronger pathways of how to navigate that stress, or even adults. However, if you realize, okay, if I change my experiences, I can change the pathways in my brain, and if I change the pathways in my brain, I'll change my behavior. So whatever was repeated, if I stop doing that, then that longer, stronger pathway gets turned off. It's called pruning in the brain, and it turns that pathway off. So a child who's come from that environment, uh, I have someone that I've been working with that is in their mid-50s, came from mm -hmm. a very dysfunctional home, um, got into trouble with the law at age 12. We're talking physical abuse. We're talking neglect. We're talking all the bad things that could have happened. Right. And I began working with him a year ago saying, okay, if, you, if we can turn these experiences off and we can start new pathways, you can change your behavior. I got a call last week from him. I'm in the best place in my life I've ever been in because I don't do what I used to do anymore because what you taught me worked. And it, and it works for any age. Now, in the same way, would an approach like this work for for those that uh, I'm guessing people that have these uh, you mentioned earlier about um, when a child is trying to attach. And I, I know not a lot, but I know a little bit about attachment where there's these um, anxious attachment, avoidant attachment. Mm -hmm. And these can lead to other problems with um, with um, emotional permanence and things like that. W does this type of approach address issues like that as well, where you can yes, resolve those yes, types of things? Absolutely. Absolutely. One hundred percent. Because, again, you're changing the experiences that, that have already been there, those longer, stronger pathways. You're, you're creating new pathways by doing new behavior. Now, that may be where therapy comes in a little bit, um, or at least a really good workshop. And um, I know a guy that does good workshops. Just, just kidding. Um, but uh, <laughs> F-I-N-D-F-L.com. There you go. There you go. <laughs> It's ask me your questions and I'll answer them directly. If you do the contact thing, I'll, I'll personally answer your questions on my website. But um, yes, it works for attachment. And okay. it works, we're absolutely, it cures it. It absolutely will cure it. 
Folks, we're on with Dr. Vince Callahan. He's the founder of the Florida Institute for Neural Discovery. Their website, F-I-N-D-F-L, <clears throat> excuse me, dot com. And uh, we're going to continue with Dr. Callahan for another segment. So if you want to get your calls in, now's a good time. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. And I'm looking at an article in Christianity Today, and the headline is, Blessed are the rich, for they can afford to limit their kids' screen time. Too much tech is bad for children, but are we only discipling families entrusted with much? I I don't see the correlation. I'll get into this a little later, but I do want to pick Dr. Vince Callahan's brain. He's the founder of the Florida Institute for Neural Discovery. Check out their website, by the way, find-fl.com. Dr. Vince Callahan, earlier we talked about screens, and it's a hot-button issue. And, and this was one early on for me. Uh, I, you know, my, There weren't screens when my kids were that young, that many screens. And I remember feeling guilty in, inside of myself, thinking every time my kid acts up or it, you know, becomes impatient or whatever it was when they were younger— uh, they're 18 and 22 now. Uh, I felt like if I had a screen, you know, or my cell phone or whatever it was, I, I don't, I felt guilty doing that because I thought, I feel, I felt like I was cheating. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, it's like putting your kid in front of a TV. Good luck, kid. Take care. And, uh, you know, that was just my opinion, but uh, I felt like it was kind of my job to entertain my kid or discipline my kid and say, hey, listen, there's times where you can screw around. This isn't one of them. You're going to have to sit there and, and behave. And I don't know if I took the right approach or the wrong approach, but I'm wondering, what's your take on screens? You took the right approach, by the way. My take is this, the research that I've done, and even recently, because I've been doing some articles and things on uh, screen time, the same parts of the brain that are used when a drug addict uses a substance are the same parts of the brain that are used when a child is on the screen. Hmm. So this is like when I eat a donut. Mm-hmm. Same thing, dopamine. Dopamine. Dopamine push. You become addicted to that deficit that happens and you want to seek more. Average child right now is on a screen four to six hours a day. New study just shows that the average teenager gets 230 notifications a day on their phone. That's about one every 1.1 to 1.5 seconds. They're getting that little ding, 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 and they're scrolling through it. So we, we've, got, we've gotten into a position where we have allowed the screens to become the electronic pacifier for the young children, which there's studies that show children who would not normally develop autism have a 52% greater chance of developing autism the earlier they start on screens. Wow. Why aren't we so talking now about we, that? That's, um, a that's a good question. Yeah, that's a huge deal. 
52 percent increased chance if you give your kid a screen uh, at early as early as six months of age, and and kids at six months of age are getting screen time to be the electronic pacifier. Just what you were talking about, you didn't do. There's a lot of parents that do it. One well, year old screens became it. more prevalent after that. Everybody, everybody's phone had one, and you know tablets yep. were really expensive back when my kids were little. But now, mm-hmm. at what age would you say it's safe to to give a kid a screen? And for how long? I wouldn't. I wouldn't give a screen to a child until late middle school, early high school. That was around the time middle school was when I, I, I let my kids have a cell phone, um, and, and it started with an iPod. Probably a little earlier than that, like twelve years old, and, and I regretted it afterwards because I felt like, well, what happened to my kid? Where'd they go? <laughs> it's like I never talked to them again. Wow, mm-hmm. that, that that's really serious. So. What's your advice to parents that, you know, feel like, I know it's not wrong, it's not right, but it works, and I, I don't want them to, to feel left out of a conversation, or I don't want, you know, I just want them to, to, to chill and to be relaxed? Well, actually, it, it doesn't create relaxation. It creates anxiety and depression, but that's a different topic. But what my advice is, and, and what I even tell my own patients to do, Instead of trying to take the screen away cold turkey, because you're going to get a very adverse reaction when you try and do that, let's wean them off of it a little bit. And let's start with one simple thing. One hour a week, everybody turns their screens off and we be a family. We attach as a family and try to bond as a family, do something fun together one hour a week, 15 minutes for four days or one hour, one day, doesn't really matter. But that will begin to slowly change the culture of the family and what i'm seeing is that when i get families that'll do the one hour that one hour turns into two or turns into three because the kids actually would rather attach to parents than they would to a screen wow that's pretty smart stuff uh dr vince callahan i know you we scheduled you for three segments but i want to hold you for another one if you'll give me a few more minutes sure absolutely all right so stick around folks uh we're gonna get to your calls and we're gonna wrap up with dr vince straight ahead uh, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. Uh, Our guest, Dr. Vince Callahan, founder of the Florida Institute for Neural Discovery. Now, Doc, if people aren't in Florida, but they're thinking, man, this guy's terrific. I want to attend one of your workshops or buy one of your resources or participate in some of the stuff you're doing. How do they how do they go about that? Um, They can reach us uh, that find hyphenfl.com or simply drvincecallahan.com. They can also find me on YouTube at hashtag drvincecallahan. I've got lots of interviews and, and YouTube things up there. On, on, on Facebook, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Instagram, 
and they can, if they reach up uh, on the uh, top part of the website where it says contact, if they'll put in their information and ask me any of their questions, I personally answer those questions. So that comes directly to my email box. And um, I've got a new book coming out November the 4th called The Neural Classroom, Restoring the Stressed Brain, and that'll be on our website as well. So uh, there's ways to get me, and uh, they can get me to their their venues. Uh, I do a lot of uh, speaking and, and uh, those kind of things and workshops for educators. Well, Dr. Vince Callahan, if you're uh, interested in discussing your new book when it comes out in November, happy to have you on the program to discuss that and to hopefully expound a little bit on this link between screens and autism. Until then, I thank you for being with us. You're a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot, and I appreciate you. Thank you so much. You bet. Folks, that's Dr. Vince Callahan, and we're going to get to your calls and more straight ahead. It's Open Phone America. We're talking about the drama with the speaker, drama with your children, parenting, and everything else that we covered tonight. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. The city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Uh, Wednesday night edition of the program. Welcome. If you want to join us in our late-night national town hall conversation, give us a call, 833-482-5337 or 833-4-VALDEZ. And we talked about a number of things tonight so far. This is, again, the third hour of the program. We had a, a tremendous discussion with Dr. Vince Callahan on a number of topics uh, in psychology, mainly child psychology, but how it kind of relates with adult psychology as well. Really, really fascinating things about yelling at your kids and the effects that yelling at your kids has uh, as a parent. And it has the same effect as physical or sexual abuse. And that was uh, mind-blowing for me. Uh, we also uh, had a discussion with uh, Congressman Ronnie Jackson, who uh, voted for McCarthy but said that his days were definitely numbered. He broke promises that he just couldn't keep. And this seems to be a consensus that's agreed uh, both on the right and left of the political spectrum in our country. Congressman, former Congressman Joe Scarborough, you know him as the host of The Morning Joke on MSNBC. Uh, he says that McCarthy made promises. Listen to this. It is a strange thing that Kevin McCarthy made so many promises that members of both parties say he didn't keep. You can't survive that. You just can't survive it. Politics aside, you got to keep your word on the Hill because it's a very small boat everybody's rowing in. I got to say, I don't always agree with Joe Scarborough, but this one, I agree with him. I think uh, McCarthy put himself in a bad spot. You know, when he was running for speaker and he went through 15 rounds of votes, uh, for sure, he 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 had the I'll call it the nuclear option uh, of trying to work with Democrats to get him over the edge if Republicans weren't going to do it. However, he would have been indebted to Democrats. So it was um, 
it was a, a difficult, difficult, difficult place for him to be. Uh, and he, he cut the deals he cut, and he didn't keep his end of the bargain. That part of it is cut and dry, open and shut. Uh, the part of it that's not so open and shut is, um, are we going to have somebody from the Republican Party that can get every single Republican to vote for them because McCarthy may resign soon, and we, we just, you know, or after the end of his term, it's, it's still kind of unclear, and we we don't know um, if, you know, if, if every person is going to get behind someone like Jim Jordan. And listen, I would love that to happen. I think I wanted Jim Jordan last time around. And, uh, you know, he, he'd been on the show and I asked him one time, I think off the air. Um, and he said, uh, no, I think I did ask him on the air. And I said, and he said, I'm supporting Kevin McCarthy. So this is one of those things where I'd love to see a speaker Jordan. And I think we might, I, 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 th- I feel good about it, but it, it seems like, it could be contentious because he's a very effective guy. So I don't know if that's going to happen or not, but I want your calls and thoughts and opinions on that as well. And uh, everything else that we're talking about, of course, then we talked about Trump. Uh, Trump was um, lambasted for saying, we got to build a wall, we got to build a wall. And of course, Joe Biden was uh, famous for saying, we're not going to build another foot of border wall. And there's a report out today from the Associated Press that says the Biden administration is building 200 feet of border wall. Go figure, right? 20 miles, excuse me, 200 feet, forgive me. 20 miles of border wall. Uh, I got to say, kudos to Joe Biden for building the border wall. But I couldn't help but laugh because uh, this was the guy who wasn't going to build a single foot of border wall. And uh, clearly it needs to happen. So uh, we're going to get to all of your uh, comments, thoughts, and opinions. Let us, um, let's go. Let's go right here. Let's see. We've got calls from New York, Wilmington, Delaware, St. Cloud, Minnesota, Orlando, Florida, Reading, Pennsylvania. Let's go with Doc. He's uh, the first one on the list. Doc is in Wilmington, Delaware. He's listening on WDEL. Doc, welcome to the program. You're on with Rich Valdez. Rich, thanks again for a wonderful show, buddy. You're you're hitting it out of the park as always. Want to tell you, keep you up to speed on. Number one, I agree that uh, the representative Jordan should be speaker. But hear me out. I don't want us to go too far on the issues to the right. We may alienate the middle of the road voters in the suburbs and the, and the, and the major cities that we need to put us over the top. The President Trump won in 2016. In Delaware, I want to let you know what's happening. We stand a good chance in Delaware of overturning the entire Democratic apple cart over one issue, electric cars. Our governor and our state legislature, all demon rants, that's what I call them now, have <laughs> mandated that by 2035, Delawareans must buy electric cars and replace their gas cars with electric cars. As I listen to talk radio locally here in Delaware over our local station on DEL, everybody, Democrats, independents of Northern Delaware, north to south, is up in arms over electric cars. They're saying, I cannot afford a Tesla. This is absurd. It's ridiculous. If we can hammer home these issues nationwide, we stand a heck of a good chance of 24. Your thoughts, sir? I think those are all valid points. Um, there are some places that are definitely uh, kind of single issues, kind of like uh, what you're talking about with Detroit and things like that, um, and, and the electric cars, all of that stuff makes sense to me. The The issue for me is bigger than uh, – if Jordan gets there, I think Jordan can nail it. I think that the issue is can Jordan get there? And something uh, Congressman Ronnie Jackson said was that uh, a lot of people who were McCarthyites um, – McCarthy isn't Kevin McCarthy – were – thinking of supporting Jordan because they're at odds with Steve Scalise right now. And that does one thing. It makes what could potentially be a perfect storm to get 
Jordan elected. And that would be uh, a fantasy football scenario, right? It would be the, you know, if we could pick and choose, uh, it would be great. I mean, that's who I wanted originally. And he said, no, he was supporting McCarthy. So I think this is fantastic if it happens that way. Uh, the, the big question is with such a slim majority, uh, Congressman Jackson pointed out, you know, 221 members right now, and you, you have no room. And if there's a few people that are adamant, like, I don't like any of these guys, I'm, I'm going to nominate Trump. Um, there goes those few that you needed to, to be over the top, and it makes it almost almost impossible to, to, to win. So I think whoever the person is has to have that unanimous support from Republicans or they just won't get across the finish line. Uh, I have a feeling that because people always deal with things better when there's pressure. If there's pressure on all sides, then I think, you know, Democrats are willing to say, look, we'll we'll deal with Jordan, but here's what we want in return. And, you know, or whatever it is. Again, if, if you can win it purely on Republicans, then that's the win. That's the ideal win. And, and I think we can get there. We got there for McCarthy. We could probably get there for Jordan. Um, hopefully it'll take, you know, a lot less than 15 rounds of voting so that we can continue doing the people's business continue, because there's this continuing resolution that we have to deal with. And it, it expires in, I don't know, 40 something days. So uh, that's a big deal. But I'm with you on that one. I think Jim Jordan is a solid uh, he's been on the program a couple of times. He's always delivered. He, he's head of the Judiciary Committee, obviously. He always delivers. Uh, he's got his finger on the pulse, and he's a heck of a good guy. So uh, I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that he's the first one to throw his hat in the ring, and, and I'm hopeful that he succeeds. But I'm happy to talk to everybody that's throwing their hat in the ring if they want to you know, come on the program and discuss it. Um, I'm happy to have that discussion as well because I think it's a, an interesting one. And one of the takeaways that I think we get from this is when people – um, normally don't care, right? Nobody's ever paid attention to a speaker election until Matt Gates started um, th- this, this feud with McCarthy. And that Gates-McCarthy feud brought a lot of eyeballs to people, uh, to people's eyeballs to the equation. And I think that is really important because Reagan said it best, we have to be informed patriots. If we're not informed patriots, then we're, we're, we're at a loss. So I, that's my thought on that one, Doc. I appreciate the call. Kudos to you, and thanks for the compliments. Always a pleasure to speak with you. Always great insight. Doc in Wilmington, Delaware on WXDE. Uh, let us continue. Let's go to, <clears throat> let's see, uh, Katie. Let's go to Katie. She's in Reading, Pennsylvania, W-E-E-U. Katie, you're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hi, Rich. Um, I need to ask your opinion as a dad and as a man and as a, as a good person. Um, Thank you. When, and, and the reason, you know, I just caught the last end with the doctor and stuff. But long story short, when I was little, like five years old, my pa- every day I would wake up, my parents would, you know, get me ready, and every day I would be transferred to an aunt, an uncle, a grandparent. Never knew who was my parents or my family for the day. They would eventually come and pick me up sometimes late. And then when I went to school, like first grade, sometimes I would be left at school till like eight o'clock at night when they remembered that they forgot me. Um, so the other Sorry day I was listening that. to a friend talk. Okay. Um, I was listening to her talk and she was like, oh yeah, you got to watch what you say and do in front of the kids and blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden my brain thought to, thought to myself, yeah, well, what you do in front of the kids, what about all the stuff that you do that you think is absolutely correct and okay to do? Like what I just described, mm-hmm. where, how right. I grew up. Well, as an adult now, I understand that they both worked and needed money. But as a five-year-old, I didn't. All I knew was that I was being transferred 
again to somebody else where, you know, I had no friends, I had nobody to play with, et cetera, et cetera. So with that said, like, this is how, this is like a colossal, like, oh my God, this is why I am now, why I am the way I am. But now right. what do I do with it? Where do I go? You know, that's, that's what I'm asking you. It's like, you're sure. dead, you know? What, well, what, I'll tell you, I mean, I have this information right next. Yeah. Uh, let me tell you something. I just recently read, um, not too long ago, I've, you know, I, I have the benefit of, of speaking with a lot of great psychologists on this program, and, and it, it sparks things. I'll take notes sometimes while I'm speaking with them, and I'll research them later. And recently I started, um, I read a couple of different articles on a couple of interesting topics, and hopefully I could get this out in two minutes. But <clears throat> when it comes to um, attachment issues, and that's something we were talking about with the doctor earlier, and again, I don't pretend to be a psychologist. I'm not a psychologist, but uh, I read stuff. And one of the things I read about was attachment and uh, different attachment styles. And there's this anxious attachment and then there's this avoidant attachment. There's a couple of others. But those two stuck out, stood out to me because they were interesting. Like I, I saw when I was reading them traits of people that I know, people that I deal with on a regular basis, family members, friends, things like that. And I said, oh, wow, I, that's why they behave the way they do. That's why I behave the way I do sometimes. And in reading about these things, it, it, it broke it down even further to uh, something called um, emotional permanence. And I mentioned that with the doctor because it was top of mind for me because I'd recently read about it. And this emotional permanence is defined loosely as how you perceive people to care about you when you can't see them. And while you're forming attachment as a kid, whatever it is, five years old, six years old, whatever, earlier, <clears throat> if you don't form a secure bond uh, with your parents, which it sounds like maybe in your situation you weren't able to because they had to work and they were relying on family and their support system to, to care for you, that be begins this, this issue. And it, it, it impairs your development to, to create something called emotional permanence, which is where you feel loved even when you don't see that you're being loved. So, and that's the key, right? It's kind of the key for parents to, to make sure that, you know, you tell your kid that you love them enough so that when they're, you know, at school, they're not freaking out with separation anxiety because, oh my God, I can't see my mom. I can't see my dad. So now I'm going to cry until my mom or dad comes around. And that is something that can carry into adulthood or could even manifest later. And, and it sounds like that's what you're saying. So you're saying, you know, you, you kind of do your thing alone now. And how do you fix it? W what I read was that this is uh, treated by what they call mindfulness, where you have to be mindful about the way you behave around other people because this causes a bunch of issues which would ultimately cause you to self-sabotage yourself, whether it's in relationships or employment or other things. And I found that to be very interesting because there's a lot of very interesting, intelligent people that I know that despite all of their, their accolades, achievement, uh, intellect, education, uh, they still shoot themselves in the foot time and again. And I realized there's that correlation. So uh, I don't know if you have those issues in your, in, your, in your life, but I can say this idea of mindfulness, and I would definitely recommend looking into that more, is one of those things. Uh, the other thing was uh, having some sort of positive affirmation for yourself if there isn't someone that can give you that positive affirmation and tell you how great you are. And Dr. Vince Callahan just mentioned that where he said he could make somebody smile in 15 seconds by giving them a compliment. Uh, I think that's, 
it's a lot harder when you have to do it for yourself because you may be dealing with low self-esteem uh, and, and other issues. But ultimately, I think those positive affirmations for oneself, which uh, got me through radio. You know, radio's kind of nerve-wracking when you think I've got to talk into this microphone for hours on end. What am I going to say? How am I going to sound? What am I going to do? You know, and in the beginning, you don't see people. And it's, it's odd to talk into a microphone when you can't see anybody unless you're looking at a producer that's across the glass and sometimes not even that. So, um, you know, I kind of used mindfulness for myself to, to just envision things and tell myself, you're good at this. You got this. Take it easy. And there were people around me that said, man, you're really good at this. Stick with it. You're going to do great. And, and, and that stuff matters. But when nobody else is there to prop you up, you have to be able to prop yourself up. And finally, before I go to the break, I think ultimately the, the biggest affirmation that I could ever tell myself is that I'm a, t a child of God, right? And, and if you have a relationship with God, uh, great. If you don't, I recommend getting one. It's, it's great. Because when you realize what ultimately what, what you believe in as your faith and the sacrifice, if, you know, for me, I'm a Christian, I believe that Jesus died on a cross for me and for the sins that I'm, I'm committing and the rest of humanity commits and to give me that redemption. Uh, that, that's a, a very flattering thought to me that, that God would send his own son die for something I did. Little old me, who am I? And, and that is enough for me to hold on to, to have hope and to realize there's more and I can, and I can achieve so much potential because ultimately I'm a child of God. And that's the best that I could, uh, best advice that I could give you, Katie. All right, cool. That's a lot. And I appreciate it. I really do. And I can dig the God thing. You know, when yeah. I was younger, it was one relationship, but now that I'm older, we're pals. They, God and Jesus, they really help me out like every day. Amen to that. And let me tell you, I think you're going to do really, really well. I hope you call in again with a really positive update really soon. I got to hit a break. But big shout out to you, Katie. God bless. And uh, big shout out to everybody listening on WEEU. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833 482 Five three three seven eight three three four Valdez. That's Valdez with an S. Rich Valdez, who again will do a fine job, and I know you'll enjoy listening to it. All right, America, welcome back. And uh, I want to quickly go to John, St. Cloud, Minnesota, KNSI. John, go right ahead. Thank you. Uh, I'm sorry that the uh, doctor is not on, but uh, I grew up in a household where I kind of saw my parents as children in adult bodies. Mm. Uh, they, for instance, uh, my father uh, seemed to like to start arguments with my mother, especially at the dinner table, if you yeah. understand what I'm saying. Sure. Yeah, I get it. And I Picking mean... Picking a fight. Yes. 
John, hang on. I want to hear your story and I want you to be heard, uh, but we have to take a quick pause right here. We're coming right back. Don't hang up. Folks, we're coming right back. Our phone number is 833-482-5337. We're talking about Trump and the border wall, the McCarthy ouster, and uh, what's going on with the family dynamic. More to come straight ahead. Don't move a muscle. I'm Rich Valdez. America, welcome back, and uh, it's Open Phone America. You get to chime in and discuss everything that's going on in America at night, and uh, we've have been having a really robust conversation on family dynamics and what it's like when you yell at your kids, and uh, it's it's a fascinating topic uh, that we discussed with Dr. Vince Callahan. We also talked about Trump and the border wall, and of course, uh, with uh, Congressman Ronnie Jackson about what to expect with the election of a new Speaker of the House. That's uh, coming up this Tuesday as Congress is on session. But we left off with uh, one of our callers, John, calling in from St. Cloud, Minnesota, KNSI. And he was describing how he would observe as a child his parents behaving like children themselves in adult bodies because his dad would pick fights with his mom. And we left off there. John, go right ahead. Anyway, um, uh, they uh, took me to... Catholic Charities free counseling um, because I wasn't uh, doing well in school. Right. Uh, I found out that the Catholic Charities counselors kept no notes uh, so they could always deny that they had treated the person which Mm. gave them uh, protection. Meanwhile, they couldn't understand, just this was back in the 50s and 60s, how much this fight, uh, this constant warfare uh, in the home was affecting me. Uh, they uh, Over the years, I found that I had to Every time I went in, I was, well, I call it uh, Ancient Mariner Syndrome. If you've ever read the uh, poem, The Ancient Mariner, I uh, was compelled to recount this horrible supernatural thing that went that he went through. And uh, this one time he's recounting it at this wedding. Uh, anyway... Yes. Uh, I found out that that is kind of a thing that's with uh, uh, traumatic stress and such. Of course, we didn't have those, what do you call it? And it's like we're just discovering this. And yet we've gone through this for millennia. Yeah. 
And what was the the outcome for you? Did your parents reconcile? Did you find uh, did you f- find what you were looking to resolve with the therapy that you pursued? No, I'll explain. Uh, it finally came out that my mother had nearly been beaten to death by her father, oh. and I during these fights she was acting like a little. Uh, crying little girl. Uh, but I mean, these things, I told these uh, counselors that were working with me, what you've got to do is get these two together and get them into a fight, and then you can observe the dynamics. Right. I guess that didn't happen. N- it didn't happen for decades. And then just before she died, well, I'll tell you, I, it came out, that part of it. I'll t- tell you one thing, though. Yeah. I, I think her death was a suicide. I think oh. she starved herself to death. That's so unfortunate. You know, John, these stories, uh, they, they, this is exactly why I, I invite these psychologists on the show. You know, a lot of people want to hear about politics all the time. But I think uh, emotional health, uh, mental health, whatever it is, just you know, your being as a human and being able to relate with others interpersonally, uh, whether it's you yell at your kids or you're fighting with your spouse or whatever it is. I think it's such a critical component. And as I've navigated through life and I've had so many blessings and so many benefits of meeting so many people from so many different walks of life, uh, I realize I do have some access that maybe some others don't have, but it it doesn't mean that we all shouldn't know the same stuff. And, and that's why I'm, I'm always eager to bring in somebody who's an expert on, on things like what we talked about tonight, because I think ultimately that's what matters. You know, politics matters, but if, like your situation, if you've got your parents that are, you know, um, having arguments in front of you and it doesn't end and it goes on forever, people that are ultimately potentially harming themselves because they don't know how to deal with the stressors of life and whatnot, uh, everybody deals with stress. And and that's kind of why I, I, I do this stuff. And um, and it's to, to hopefully avoid or prevent um, one less story like yours. So I thank you for sharing that. And I'm, I'm sorry you went through what you went through. And I really appreciate your call uh, because it's eye-opening. And it, it kind of punctuates why uh, we all need to be better in this area of, of parenting and, and relating with our family interpersonally. So um, Godspeed to you, John. I appreciate it. Folks, I'm going to take a quick pause here. We're coming right back to continue your calls on political topics, on family topics, on anything else that you'd like to discuss. 833 833- Four eight two five three three seven eight three three four Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now eight three three four Valdez. That's eight three three four eight two five three three seven eight three three four Valdez. That's Valdez with an S. I'm so glad. 
glad to be on your show, Rich. It's just an amazing broadcast that I hope the rest of America listens to every day. America at Night with Rich Valdez. The financial documents that I gave to the bank are much less than my actual net worth. So therefore, I gave them to the bank. They can't be a fraud because I gave them lower numbers. Of course, that's President Donald Trump uh, yesterday at the courthouse um, making his case. And we are going to continue with the rest of your calls on the family dynamics. Uh, But I just wanted to bring in this Trump stuff because he did weigh in a little bit ago on his uh, take on people calling on him to become speaker. Right. Uh, He's addressed the fact that he's been called to, to be the next speaker. And while leaving the courtroom today, Um, He was asked about calls for him to become Speaker of the House, to which he said he would do whatever is best for the country, but made it clear he was focused on running for president. So we'll see how that uh, unwinds and if that's just um, Trump giving a slick answer or if Trump really is going to get nominated as Speaker of the House. And uh, that would just be, I think, just history, history in the making. And I think he'd do a darn good job of it, although I'm still rooting for um, uh, Congressman Jim Jordan. Uh, let's continue with the, your calls. We've got a number of people on hold, and we're going to get to all of you. Uh, so just keep it as brief as you can so we can get everybody in. Let's go to Sandra in Dothan, Alabama, WDBT. Sandra, go right ahead. Okay, I've got two questions for you. One is about this trial that Trump is involved in now with his valuation of his valuation of what he owns or whatever. Uh, you know, it's just like if I took my house and I said, my house is worth whatever, but, you know, is it going to sell for that? So here's my question. Why wouldn't the, they said today, I didn't hear, you know, a lot of the testimony, but I heard on the news that they had a lot of um, accountants in there. Why don't they have the bankers in there, the lending institutions? Aren't they the ones that in the end decide how much the value is on whatever? And then my other question is, is about the border. I thought that a while back that Biden had ordered the materials that were left from the wall that Trump didn't get finished. I thought he ordered those to be sold. So that's my questions for you. Sure. As far as I know, I don't know if they were sold. I think they 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 um, got damaged because he paused the construction on those materials and some of them rusted or whatever it was because they weren't erected properly and, um, and they fell by the wayside. Uh, with respect to the other, it's an interesting thing. So... You know, there's an assessed value that the the municipality, the county, whoever is taxing you, uses on your property. They don't go by, um, not everybody goes by the value of the home as an appraisal. They go by an assessed value. So the argument that the government is making here is that Trump used um, the the assessed value and and um, or, or the the sale value rather than the assessed value to inflate his net worth to get the loan. Now, t- with respect to the banks, they do do an appraisal and they did give him the money and he did pay back the money and they are on the record and they've testified as such in this trial saying that we didn't have a problem with Trump. It's the government that is saying that he lied based on what the prosecutor, the Letitia James and, and her team are alleging that Trump um, inflated these values in order to get uh, a, a bigger loan. Trump is saying, uh, I didn't inflate anything. I gave you what my financial statement was on paper, 
that didn't include the fact that he could license his name and build buildings all over the world that weren't even his buildings. People wanted to put the Trump brand. And again, this is a, a popular practice in building. Uh, Marriott does this, for example. A lot of people build buildings and they make a hotel and then they think, all right, I want to go with Marriott. And if Marriott doesn't like that property, you won't get the Marriott name on it and have to run it the way a Marriott is run. So you may have to go with a different hotel brand or become your own, you know, X, Y, and Z, Rich Valdez Hotel. And uh, the, the, he, the case he was making was, you know, I, I'm worth a lot more than what the paper says because of his potential, because of his brand. So um, they're, again, just kind of speaking past each other with him saying, I gave you the smallest number and I'm really worth a lot more. And they're saying you gave a bigger number and you were worth less. And you did that in order to obtain more money in a loan. And they don't care that the money was paid back. They're saying the fraud was perpetuated when he applied. Um, to me, it sounds like a moot point. If the bank didn't have a problem and the money was paid back, I don't see the issue here at all. Even if he did lie, I don't think he did. And I think that's the case. But it seems like they're, they're out to get him no matter what. And, and that's sadly where I think we are. Excuse me, had a sneeze. Anyway, thank you, Sandra, for your call. Big shout out to Dothan, Alabama, and everybody listening on WDBT. Uh, let us continue with your calls. Uh, let us go to, let's see, what do we got here? We got uh, Frank Evergreen, Montana. Go right ahead, sir. Hi, Rich. Uh, hey, oh. I'm coming in better tonight. Okay. Yeah, you sound terrific. I, I wanted to talk about, I wanted to talk about uh, infrastructure for fiber optic in Montana. It's around Yellowstone and southern uh, border of Montana. There is a lot of old magma boulders, and uh, it's, it's really tough going through these boulders with uh, drill bits, and it's uh, it's like going through solid iron. And it's I just, would imagine. It's a rough, rough country. It's just, uh, uh, you just can't have an infrastructure overnight in Montana. It's just, it will still be in the probably the 19th century for quite a while here. Well, everybody else is flying around and flying cars, but... Uh, you know, Frank, you bring up a really good point. Uh, this is a very similar problem to where where they weren't able to build border wall. And again, it wasn't in Montana, but there are sections of the border wall they were trying to put up, and they realized it was very difficult to to anchor these walls in certain places because it was, uh, while it's desert or whatever near the riverbank there, it, it's it's some of it is like mountainous and it's difficult to install these uh, border barriers. And uh, so I think you bring up a good point, whether it's laying fiber optic in Montana or putting in a border wall in Texas or, or uh, Arizona, it's, it's still a challenge. And I, this was a part of the original debate where they were saying, you're not going to be able to build a wall because there, there's places you can't even build the wall where we can only patrol it with the electronic surveillance, with uh, other wiring that they lay, uh, those, those sensors that they use, cameras and whatnot, and they patrol it with drones. So uh, I, I think it's a brilliant point that you made. And it's always good to hear from you. You always uh, come in loud and clear. Big shout out to Frank in Evergreen, Montana on KOFI. Excellent point tonight. Uh, let us continue. Let's check in with Jacob. Jacob's calling from Orlando, Florida, listening to our website, richvaldezamericanight.com, streaming us live. Jacob, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Hi, Rich. Good to see you tonight. Hope everybody's doing well. Likewise. Um, I had to have a doctor. The doctor on tonight is quite interesting. I wanted to touch on a little bit of a subject uh, about relationships. Um, 
Sure. I know people are talking about relationships. Uh, the 25% of people uh, in the United States that uh, over 40 have never been married. And I'm in that category myself. Um, I was actually looking for a wife as well. And I was reading that article. And it's just so hard to find folks that uh, you know, that, that haven't been married on dating sites. And so I went out and I actually created a dating site just made just directly for never married folks. It's um, oh, that's an interesting never married dating. Yeah, it's, um, it's really, really cool. It's called NeverMarriedDating.com, and I put the app on the Amazon App Store. It's a free app as well. He will like the egg on their phone. You can get the app on the App Store and Amazon. And um, it's I have several hundred people have joined it already, and there's a lot of people on it. That's, you know, it's hard to find uh, somebody that's compatible. You know, if you're dating somebody that has divorced and has kids and you don't can't really relate to that, and especially – with so many folks that haven't been married, 25%, that's, that's huge. That's, that's like a million. I think it's a huge number. And, you know, it, not only is it a huge number, but it's a number that's probably going to grow because there's a lot of people that uh, – I think there's still people that want to get married, but there's a lot of people that just say, you know, I don't want to get married. I think uh, marriage isn't for me. It's not the way for me to go. And, uh, and, and I think that's unfortunate because there's so many benefits to marriage, not to mention the tax benefits. Uh, but I wish you best of luck with the website, Jacob, and, and Godspeed in finding a wife. Hopefully you find one. You call us back and tell us, hey, it worked, and I found her on my own website. That would be great. Good luck with the app, Jacob, and thanks for calling in uh, from Orlando, Florida. And, folks, we're going to get to the rest of your calls straight ahead. we got calls from New York, South Carolina, and Indiana coming up straight ahead. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, to the phones we go. It's the speed round. Keep it to 25 or 30 seconds max. Let's go to Jane, Albany, New York, WGDJ. Jane, go right ahead. Hey, Rich. Okay, the best thing you could say, okay, verbal abuse is much worse because it's more consistent. It happens on an everyday basis. What you can do is agree as a family. Look, we're going to talk to each other. We're going to help each other. And on a day you're feeling really tense, go to your child and say, you know what, I'm having a terrible day. Would you help me come in for a landing? And that way the child realizes that you are just as vulnerable as they are. And then you give them importance. That's fantastic. yeah, and I, I think that's talk. something that I could start to implement myself because, you know, I don't have these major conflicts, but uh, the little ones that I have with my kids, it, a softer approach like that would really probably be beneficial. Jane, like always, you knocked it out of the park. Big shout out to you guys in WGDJ land. Let us move to Derek, Jamestown, New York, WJTN. Go right ahead quickly. Hey, assalamu alaikum. Derek, my brother, how are you, sir? What's going on? Yeah, I'm cool, uh, Rich. Uh, tonight, uh, Christianity, I want to uh, speak about. And All right, quickly. we got to keep it quick. It's a speed round. Okay, it's a speed round. That's right. Oh, so now um, all of the good-hearted people on the earth that uh, we were born innocent children— and we want to serve 
and know how we're supposed to operate under a supreme law uh, called God, uh, right. was uh, made, made fools out of. All the people in Islam, all the people in Judaism, and all the people in Christianity, because we did not know. You go, Christianity has been perpetrated all over the world. You can What's the bottom line, Derek? Oh, jeez. Uh, There's the music. Sorry, Sarah, I couldn't get to you. Derek, sorry, man, you had to be faster. Uh, but I think ultimately you were saying that religion's used to control people, and I would say... Uh, guns are used to control people, and guns are also used to save people's lives. Religion could be used to control someone, and it could be used to set people free. Uh, where there's good, there's bad. Take care, good night, and hasta la próxima. God bless America. I'll be back tomorrow. I'm Rich Valdez. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on, right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra five to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.